0: Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold and I am delighted that I've got my power panel already in place for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. They do a great job as always. If you have never listened to this segment of the show, you're going to like it instantly because all you do is send your questions and we try to answer them. 877-933-2484. We 8- try, right? We, That's try. we try. Yeah, yeah. And I sprinted down to my car before the show <laughs> started, so I'm trying to not act like I'm out of breath right now. But eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Jeff Redoran and Pastor Tom Parrish are with me today, and we are uh, ready and ready to take your questions. So Good afternoon, Bill. Yeah, hello, Tom. Good to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, let's get into some questions. This is what we do. Um, is spiritual attack really a thing? Is that biblical?
1: Yeah, it is biblical in the sense that it depend, Well, when you read the scriptures, it, it talks about someone being possessed by a demon or, you know, the Old Testament talks a lot about, you know, harassment. Um, it is real, but we always need to be wise with it so that we don't go too far in one direction or too far in the other because we also have a very real Lord who's with us. And most of the people I talk to about spiritual attacks don't talk much about Jesus. Even though they claim to be Christian. And my yeah. attitude is, look, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Learn to use the name of Jesus and his power when you get these strange thoughts, when things happen. Uh, stand up for the truth. And if you do that, it uh, doesn't mean that the problem always leaves or the spiritual attack immediately, but you gain confidence over it and eventually you step on beyond it. So our spiritual battle was described by Paul in
2: Ephesians 6. I think this is one of the best passages to mm-hmm. uh, kind of put an umbrella over this thing we call spiritual warfare. And it says this. I'm going to start reading a couple verses starting in verse 10. It says, Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, here's the spiritual battle part, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness in this world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I don't even know what all those are, but Paul says that, and God says, that this is our battle. He says, therefore, therefore, put on the full armor of God. And the rest of the passage is, of course, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and, and so on. And so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to take your stand. So stand firm in the Lord, in his truth, and in his power. I know people who like to, um, like to who, who want to somehow seem to go around Casting out demons and commanding angels and, and doing all kinds of things, which is of the, like you were just talking about, we do have authority over these things. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I like to say, you know what? I pray to the commander of the army of all these heavenly hosts and I let him worry about the detail. Um, we do have a spiritual battle. That's our battle. And so Paul says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world, but righteousness in the left hand and in the right. Um, And I think we fight this battle by trusting in him
1: and letting him fight the battle. I think you've hit the nail on the head. And what I mean by that is this. I see Christians all the time, and if they don't get their prayers answered, they have a bad habit of doing things they shouldn't be doing. I was reading about uh, King Saul, 1 Samuel 28, who consulted the witch of Endor. About the end of his about the end and what was going to happen. Something he wasn't supposed to do. He was not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to consult a witch or medium or any of that type of thing, but he did. He opened a door in his life that he should never have opened. And I find Christians opening doors, you know, whether they're playing a Ouija board, whether they're they're uh, somebody says horoscopes, horoscopes, and we think it's just play stuff. No, no, it's much more than that. And so my attitude is, I tell people stay away from that. If you've done it. Confess it, renounce it, and get rid of it. And don't mess around with that stuff because it opens a doorway to people's thinking you don't want. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Excellent start, gentlemen. All right, question
0: number two. How is saved different than born again, or are they the same?
2: I think biblically, the word for saved is the Greek word sozos, S-O-Z-O, Uh, It's a Greek verb that is in the passive voice, which is kind of interesting because it's God is the one who saves. Uh, By the way, believe, which is the Greek word, verb, pistouio, is in the active voice. We believe, and then God saves. Um, There are a number of things that happen the moment that you believe and are saved, being born again is just one of probably 20 or 30 specific things that happen at the moment of salvation. Forgiveness of sins, uh, reconciled to God, redeemed, justified, uh, made righteous, given eternal life, being called a child of God, and so on. One of those things that happens to you is you're made a new creation. Jesus described this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 as being born again or born of the Spirit. You receive life the moment you're saved.
1: Yeah, and here's the interesting thing, because I just did a lot of teaching on John 3. I just went through that passage itself. What's interesting about it, in those first eight verses especially, is that Nicodemus is totally confused. What is this being born Mm -hmm. again all about? He doesn't understand it. The message is in verse 8 that most of us don't read or get, where Jesus says, you hear the wind, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What I'm getting out of Scripture, the more I read this, the more I study over time is, is that the Lord brings the initial wake-up call in being born again. But then we still have to respond. There's still a belief that has to occur there. And I have a funny feeling that that we we've combined the two words together, salvation and born again, and I'm not sure that's as biblical as I'd like it. Because born again seems to be the prerequisite to even having faith. Where does that faith come from? It comes from being born again or from the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're born again, um, can you choose not to obey the Lord? Seems to imply that. But it's, it's a struggle, and denominationally we're all over the place on this. My attitude is make sure you're right with Jesus today, and you're going to be fine Absolutely. in the future. You you talked about
2: Nicodemus being confused. He he actually says to Jesus, well, how can a man be born again? How can a man go back into the womb and be born again? And and, and Jesus has to clarify. Well, one, he gets after him a little bit and says, you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand these things. A person is born of water. That's the natural birth. But you also need to be born again spiritually. And that's where he says, spirit gives birth to spirit. That part of man... The spiritual part of man, which scripture says is the part of man that died that day, by the way, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he died he that day. He didn't die physically. He died spiritually. A, a separation from God happened. A spiritual death happened that day. And now mankind is separated from God. And that is every single person's problem ever since is that we are spiritually separated from God. And we need that new life. So when he says spirit gives birth to spirit, that's precisely what happens the moment you believe and are saved is your spirit becomes alive, united once again with your creator.
1: Here's the good news. We all have the Nic- Nicodemus syndrome. And what I mean by that is we can only ask some pretty stupid questions. And the Lord tolerates that. Uh, I remember telling Bill a while back, I've got a plaque in my home that says, I hung it on the wall, it says, Tom, before the Lord you know, brought you to faith. And before the Lord called you into ministry, he factored in your stupidity. And I appreciate that because I do ask stupid questions Mm -hmm. and I do make mistakes, but it's part of how we grow in the Lord. And for me, the advantage of this program alone with you two guys here and the things that we do is that even at my age, I mean, I'm only 27 from 100. I keep learning from the Word of God through you, and I keep trying to grow because I want to honor Jesus just like you do, and I'm not going to fully know the Word even in this life, but I want to learn as much as I can. Mm -hmm. So good. All right, here's
0: another question. Are we ever actually made righteous, or is it just
2: that we are considered to be righteous because we have been saved? That is a very good question. Theologically, Mm -hmm. this is what theologians call imputed righteousness, And it is the idea that we receive the righteousness of God. So, um, for example, Romans 3 says, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Um, So this righteous, we become the righteousness of God. So some describe it, some theologians will describe it as if we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So somehow we're still Uh, filthy or dirty or unclean, and it's just God's looking at us through a a different lens somehow. Scripture indicates that we become the righteousness of God. We actually are made righteous. Uh, So it's not just that he's he's seeing us through a righteous lens. Mm -hmm. It's that we have been justified. We have been brought into alignment with the righteousness of Christ, and we are the righteousness of God, scripture says.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because in Second uh, Corinthians 5, 21, and this is a passage that I, I don't hear a lot of teaching on, and it's exactly on this term of righteousness. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, not just represent sin, not look like he took it on, not just put on a jacket, but to be sin uh, who knew no sin so that we might become, you ready, the righteousness of God. So it's not just a putting on of a an article or clothing or identifying with Jesus, he literally brings that into us from our heart out. Now, from that moment on, we have choices as to how we behave. And that is why even after you come to faith in Jesus, the only, and I tell Christians this all the time, if you're a Christian, the only reason you're repenting now is not to try to get salvation. You have the gift of salvation. You're doing it now to be more in alignment with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And what yep. he's already put in your heart. So I think this is one of the key passages that really talk about that.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the idea is that God has made us righteous. Now he calls us to live out that righteousness. And as you were saying, Tom, we sometimes don't live that out. Uh, I would argue oftentimes maybe we don't live that out perfectly, especially. But he's called us to this holy living. That's his call on, on our lives. He's made us righteous. He wants us to live Righteously. So, for example, Ephesians 4, 1 says to live a life worthy of this calling that you have received. Yes. You've received the righteousness of Christ. Now live it out.
0: Yep. All right. Let's make these guys work hard today. Be the hundredth question and you'll get a free puppy. That's today. today. Today only. There's only three questions that have come in, so the chances of
1: a <laughs> hundredth is on the floor the question
0: coming in is not probably going to happen. But anyway, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Down, Skippy, down. There's the puppy. (laughs) (laughs) He's big. (laughs) He is. All right. You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. We're going to try to get as many questions covered today as possible. If you want to participate, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Really some great, great questions coming in. Uh, A few weeks ago, one of your shows, someone mentioned Cheap Grace. What is that? I don't remember
2: anybody mentioning cheap grace. Well, we can talk about it. It might have yep. been some other show on Faith Radio. Oh, I got you. Yeah. You know, I've heard this phrase before, and I think people use it in the sense of um, another phrase, easy believism, that salvation has to be more than just belief. Otherwise, you, you kind of knock it as easy believism or, or cheap grace. And I, I like to point out that salvation was made available By what Christ did on the cross. God came to earth as a man, lived a perfect life, submitted to death, even death on a cross, for us, motivated by his love for us, went into a tomb and rose again. And now he offers this grace to whosoever believe, and you're calling it cheap. So in other words, I don't really think it was cheap. The price was the blood of Christ. I know. That is the price that we've been redeemed By And Peter says that it's by the precious blood of Christ that you were redeemed. That's the price that was paid for your salvation. Um, So I would never
1: describe the work of Christ on the cross as cheap. Mm -hmm. I can't bring it up through the Internet fully, but I know it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a whole thing about this, about, you know, cheap grace is grace without the need for repentance. Cheap grace is grace without the need for worship. And, oh, it finally came up. um, Because, okay, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without the requirement of repentance. It is baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. What he was trying to point out is the church in Germany especially, both the Roman Catholic and the Lutheran Church, had acquiesced to Adolf Hitler and National Socialism. And as a result, they had watered down the whole message. And he's saying, you can't do that. And, of course, he paid the price for it. At 39, he was hung Hmm. as a result of standing up for the truth of the gospel. So there is a thing called cheap grace, but it's when we neglect what Scripture says about how we live in that grace and how we carry that out. Uh, Grace is never cheap. It costs Jesus everything. But for us, we have to be careful with it and wise. So do you think that's where
2: the phrase came from? Because I agree with what he said that the church often— doesn't live up to its calling right. um and and so and if you use that phrase cheap grace that's not how i hear it today by the way i don't no. hear it in the sense of the church is not living up to the calling and therefore somehow grace is cheap i hear it in terms of more the easy believism kind of thing is what i hear it more in the context but yes i completely agree with that our church you know i, I saw something the other day it's it's like uh they were talking about the church in america and, you know, the old adage, what is it for uh, evil to prosper except for the righteous to say nothing, right? And it seems like the church is not standing up for God's ways in our country anymore in a lot of ways. And and someone competent, commented, you know, if Paul was alive today, the church in America about this time would be getting a letter.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, I agree. Know? I agree. Good and, point. And this is where we always have to be careful. And And I'm not – I hope I say this clearly. You go on the internet and, uh, you know, there's so much on there about the second coming of Jesus, which I'm all for. I'm a big one on that. However, my sense is among most of the Christians I talk to, it's an escapism from this world. It is not engaging this world as ambassadors of the gospel. It is getting out of this world so they don't have to put up with what's going on. Now, I want to get out of this world too. Mm -hmm. I want eternal—I want to be there with the Lord eternally. Eternal life's already begun by faith in Jesus. I want to be there with him. However— In the time we have left here, every Christian is now an ambassador of the gospel, a minister of reconciliation. And I tell Christians all the time, go to the school boards and stand up. You have a right to use the name of Jesus even in the school board. You have a right to use his name wherever you go. You know, they may lock you up, they may not like it, but that's what they did the apostles.
2: You know, if you think, you know, the truth of what you just said, if God didn't have a call in our life to be salt and light in this world, then when we were saved, we would be immediately brought up to heaven, right? Right. But that's not what happens. He leaves us here to grow in faith and knowledge of him, to be that salt, to be that light, to be those truth bearers in the world, and to bring the gospel, because he wants more people to be saved primarily, but he also wants people to stand up for the truth.
1: Exactly. All right, let's move
2: on. Why is yoga not acceptable if you're a Christian? Some people call it stretching. If you're just stretching, it is acceptable. But yoga... By definition, is a spiritual practice, not a physical practice. Eastern now, mysticism. Yes, but most people today that are doing it are generally just stretching, even though they're calling it yoga. But the 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 foundation of yoga, as it as it is, is really a spiritual practice that uses physical manipulation, if you will, to reach a higher spiritual plane. Um, so be careful when you do yoga if you're a Christian if the instructor starts using terms, more spiritual language, uh, as opposed to just a physical activity.
1: Well, in most of the yoga that I have run into or heard about, the music that they use or the CD that they use or whatever else, it's in Hindu. And most people have no idea what the mantras are that are being said. And I was talking with one uh, Christian who had been a Hindu and became a Christian, and he said... That at least in India, when people practice it there, that chanting is all the name of Hindu gods. And so you're calling on the name of the gods while you're stretching. He says, nothing wrong with the stretching. Right. He said, but put on some different music.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's some groups that do what they call holy yoga, and they recite scripture, and they meditate on the word of God as they stretch.
1: Yeah, There's nothing wrong with that that I can see. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's move on. Question for the guys. In John 13, it says that Satan entered Judas. Does that mean that Satan literally took over
2: Judas or that Judas just chose to disobey God? This is very interesting. Fallen angels, because Satan is, is an angel, was a wonderful angel, very powerful angel. Um, he fell. It says in Isaiah 14 that uh, I, the famous kind of five I will statements, I will make my throne above that of the most high God. So he wanted to run the place. Uh, His rebellion uh, got nowhere, and he was cast out of his position. So he's a fallen angel, and it indicates in Scripture that a third of the angels went with them. Spiritually, an angel is not the same as a demon. Demonic activity or demons, uh, Scripture indicates, inhabit a person, can indwell a person. So we see this in the Gospels in a number of places. We don't have such an instance about a fallen angel angel indwelling an individual. Um, So I make a distinction personally between demonic activity and fallen angel activity. So I think what's happening here is Satan is influencing as opposed to
1: possessing Judas. I'm not a Greek scholar in that sense, but as I look at the original language here, and I understand why they translated it that way. You know, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said, what you must do, go and do quickly. But another way you could say that, and I think be very close to, to accurate, is that after he had taken the morsel, um, he opened his heart to the will of Satan rather than the will of Jesus. And Satan then took control. And what do we do today? Most people don't wake up one morning and suddenly are possessed by the demons or by Satan. They open the door up for that to happen for at least Judas, his doorway was the finances, and he allowed that to happen. For other people, it can be something different. So I think as a Christian, you don't have to worry about that happening to us, that is going to come in by force, unless, you know, you're a person who foolishly opens the door to those wrong things and keeps dabbling in them. Uh, When you're called to stop it, you better stop. We have another story where
2: Jesus turns to Peter when he he's basically yeah. arguing that I'm going to stop this whole cross thing and Jesus says to him, "Get behind me, Satan." Well, I, I don't think any theologian believes that Satan was indwelling Peter yeah. in that moment uh, as well. but it's it's the spirit, if you will, of the Antichrist that John talks about. It's this 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 desire that's counter to God. That is the influence that is being described. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if what Satan actually after, indwelt
1: him. I don't think so either. After Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, what did it say at the end of that? And then he went away but waited for a more opportune time. Mm. Well, this is a temptation. Jesus, you don't have to go that route. Now, it may have come through Peter, but he knew where it was coming from.
2: Yeah, good word.
1: All right. We are going to take a little break,
0: but that uh, means in the next uh, 90 seconds or so, you can... Get your question ready. You can text it over to us at 877 933 2484. Again, 877 933 2484. I can also say if you don't want to text and you're a little more comfortable with email, you can email me at bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. You can ask your question right there. My power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. This segment is called Guy Talk, and we're absolutely ready, willing, and able to take your questions. 877-933-2484. show. I'm so glad you tuned in, and I'm delighted that Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Ferdorn are my guests today for Guide Talk, and which means send over any question. We'll do our very best to answer it, and there's a ton of questions coming in today. You got a hundred questions yet? No, no, I didn't. I shouldn't have ever promised a puppy. <laughs> that dog's still here. Yeah. Um, let's see. Am I able to remarry due to my husband leaving me and
1: denouncing his faith? Tom Parrish? Pretty common practice that that people remarry. That's boy, I tell you, that is a, a tough one. You know, the the prescription on or the thing on scripture is the onus of divorce lies on the person that seeks it because they're doing something else. It but it doesn't always land on the person who is the victim of that. I would always tell people: take your time, do not rush into another relationship. Seek the Lord's mind on this because the Lord may have a different plan for you. But I'm very cautious on that because I recognize that too often I watch couples go out and marry the same person again and wind up in the same boat, and it's so sad to see. So uh, I usually tell people, give yourself at least three to five years to think this through.
2: I think biblically, if I can just add, Scripture does say that if an unbeliever leaves, let them go. Right. And that you are free to marry um. So many more traditional conservative churches would allow you or permit or conduct a marriage of someone that's getting remarried if someone deserted them, abandoned them, and, and left in that situation. Okay. Can you give me some insight
0: on who Melchizedek was? He's described as a high priest, but then in Hebrews as having no mother or father or beginning nor end of life.
2: Was he an angel? Was it Jesus or just a priest without genealogy? There are a number of places in the Old Testament where we see a physical manifestation that is divine. Um, So Jacob wrestled with God. Moses spoke to God face to face. And Melchizedek is one of these. And these are called biblically... Uh, theophanies, or more specifically, Christophanies. It's an appearance of the incarnate Jesus Christ uh, pre his incarnation in the Old Testament. Um, I think scripture indicates that Melchizedek is a Christophany, is Christ himself. Hebrew said, as the caller says, that that he was a priest. He took a, a tenth from Abraham, which is a sign of worship, so he accepted that worship, which man doesn't, or even angels don't accept, that kind of worship. Uh, look at Revelation when the angel speaking to John does not accept worship from from men. He's the King of Righteousness, the King of Salem. Hebrew seven says, without father or mother, or beginning or end of days. Well, that sure sounds like Christ to me. So I believe Melchizedek was a Christophany, as indicated by Scripture.
1: Well, correct me, Jeff, if I'm wrong. In the Bible, I don't know of any other reference. Accepted the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit that has no beginning and yeah. no end. Correct. And when you hear that language, it ought to perk up your thinking, something's Absolutely. going on here. Mm-hmm. That's right. I have a niece and her now husband who were married in South
0: Carolina. Her brother, my nephew, performed the wedding as he applied online to become an officiant. Are these weddings recognized by God? Their pitbull was the best man. <laughs> Seems like a mockery, and
1: while I attended and prayed for them, what is your thinking? Here's the good news. Jesus takes them seriously, even if they don't. Because once you marry, even under the state, you become one flesh. Now, people do that without getting married, too, all the time. That's another story, and we could spend a lot of time there. But I believe the Lord took them quite seriously, and they are not going to have a healthy relationship, even with their pit bull until they get right with Jesus. And so I would keep praying for them. I would witness to them any chance I had, and I would keep telling them, you know, what you did is what you did, but Jesus did this for his own reason because he has you two set apart to do as well as you come to him.
2: There's a trend amongst young people in our country, not to marry, but just live together. Why get married, they say. And there's a governmental kind of legal aspect of why go through that process. But you, you, so you can ignore that. What you can't ignore is what God says, what he brings together. Right. And and I think the the sexual relationship part is a big part of this, what he's brought together, what no man take apart. So that covenant between the two people God really does take seriously. Uh, We've traditionally called that marriage, and the governments have decided that they are going to license it, but they better examine themselves before God as a couple first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Good word. All
0: right. Is tithing biblical, or are we supposed to just give as the Spirit leads? I understand tithing as being not just income, but on your property and sheep, etc. Basically, everything we
1: own as explained in the Old Testament. I love the concept of, of tithing in the Old Testament. It doesn't transfer over to the New Testament for a very simple reason. Not only were you we no longer under the law, but tithing was the letter of the law. And the New Testament says, "Wait a minute. We don't have to do this legally anymore. We should do this out of thankfulness." So instead of ten percent, why not twelve? Why not fifteen? Why not twenty-five? And the same with your time. The same with your energy. So no, it. I, I never teach tithing. Uh, I've always had great incomes at our churches because the only thing I teach is you give out of thankfulness to Jesus for what he's done for you, period. And uh, I've been amazed at what people give. Mm,
2: I totally agree. Second Corinthians nine, seven agrees with that. It says each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Remember the tithe, was under an obligation to God. He said, give me a tenth. And by the way, there was another tenth to be given every third year. So it was actually a little bit more than 10%. uh, For God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7.
1: And you know, the Greek word for cheerful can also be translated hilarious. Hilarious. The Lord loves a hilarious giver. We really give because we're thrilled and thankful.
0: All right. Any advice to maintain focus while studying the Bible? In my morning readings, I find my mind wandering,
1: so I have to go back and reread, which I suppose isn't a bad thing. Well, it's not bad to reread it, that's for sure, but you might want to question why does your mind wander and what's creating that? <laughs> um, I was When I was in grade school, I could not read the, w- the way they were teaching me until between my fourth and fifth grade, and I learned through comic books over the summer. I learned how to read. Now, I, I read Thousands of, I've read lots of books. I do a lot of writing. Had nothing to do with intellect. It was the way I accepted information. Some people are not as good at just reading the scriptures. So get an audio Bible. Listen to it in an audio way. I was just, my confirmation class, we're going through the 1978 film of Jesus. That is the Gospel of Luke, almost word for word. That's another way to do it. And there are many more resources. Or do it in a group to where you do it out loud and you do it together. You do those kind of things, it's wonderful what can happen, and uh, it's probably has a lot more to do with learning style than anything else. Mm.
2: I, I, I never drift when I'm reading the Word of God, Bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I do, I do. You're I not, do. You're I, not win Skippy.
0: Yeah. Okay. Not with that answer. All right. Yeah. All right, uh, how does different denominations and doctrines relate to faith and works in Christianity? And will anyone who does not hear the gospel, Muslims, for example— Have the opportunity to be saved after death. What happens to those who died in the Old Testament before Christ? Will they be saved? Did Christ
2: preach to them in the grave? Does that count as one question for the puppy or for four questions? That's four questions. That's four questions? Okay. Um, Down, skippy, down. Yeah. All right. (laughs) So let's start with the first part, and I might have to. Have you reminded us yep. for the other parts? Yep. But by faith alone, or is it faith plus something else? Um, it The questioner is probably uh, referencing uh, one of the great debates on this, which 500 years ago we had the Protestant Reformation, uh, where the protesters, the Protestants, protested about a number of things within the Roman Catholic Church, one of which was that salvation uh, was by faith plus works, according to Rome. And Luther and the reformers basically said, solo uh, fide, that says faith alone, or only by faith you are saved. That is supported by passages such as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that says we are saved by faith, not by works. Um, And Rome continues to say today that if anybody, this is in their catechism, if anybody says they are saved by faith alone, without works, let them be anathema. So there is still a division uh, between Roman Catholicism and Protestant faith, generally, because Rome believes faith plus works, the Protestants generally believe faith alone. Um, so yes, there's still a division within Christianity broadly uh, between um, whether or not it's by faith alone or if by faith plus something else.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like jumping out of an airplane and throwing the parachute out first, and then you jump after it, Hope you can catch up. What I mean by that is this. Whether you're Roman Catholic or Protestant, we have to understand that there is a balance in all of this. And the balance is our faith is in Jesus. It is his shed blood. Everything we do after that is out of thankfulness. And that's what James, I believe, the Lord's brother mm-hmm. is talking about in the book of James. We are, because we are thankful, we do the good works. Now, I look at Christians all the time, and i got to look at myself. I claim I believe in Jesus, but I have an opportunity to help another family that's struggling. Do I ignore them? Or do I just say, I'm going to pray for them? It is that balance between the two. Now, when it comes to people of other faiths out there, Paul talks about this in Romans. He said, nature has revealed all the qualities of the Lord. So if you grow up in a Muslim country, you've never heard the gospel about Jesus. He will still be eminently fair with you on the day of judgment. And if you did what you knew and you had, that's one story. If you knew the truth and didn't do it, that's another story. But my friends who are Muslim that I know who have come to faith, and I've known quite a few, have all told me that the greatest moment in their life was when they learned about Jesus because it gave them freedom. And so I hear people say all the time, well, if they don't, if they go to heaven without Jesus because they're living by the law over there, just let them live. No, they need to be know Jesus now so they can live in this world in freedom and in the life to come. So the verse
2: right after Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we're saved by faith alone, says, for we were our God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Right. So Scripture indicates that we're saved by faith alone, but once we're saved, we are created to do good works. What were the other parts of the question? We um, let's see. And
0: will anyone who does not hear the gospel, like Muslims, for example, have the opportunity to be
2: saved after death? What happened to those who died in the Old Testament before Christ? So in the Old Testament, you are still saved by faith, yep. by faith alone. So Paul says of Abraham, Abraham believed God, there's the faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's the salvation. So anybody in the Old Testament uh, before the cross was saved by the same faith. Now, what they believed about God was different. They obviously didn't have the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ like we need to believe. That's the gospel. That is the power of God unto salvation to whoever believes. But Abraham still believed God, and he was saved by it. You know, the the idea of what about all the rest of the people of the world that have never heard of the name of Jesus? Scripture is clear that Jesus is the only way to salvation. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's one mediator between God and man. Uh, He's the gate, the one way, the one door, and so on. God's judgments in the end will be perfect. We know that. Um, For the guy sitting in the Amazon rainforest who's never heard of Jesus but yet— creation somehow declares god's glory as romans 1 says what does god do with that most conservative theologians say you still need to believe in jesus to be saved sure. some will say uh god if that person seeks god and seeks them with all their heart because he sees the god of creation will find god
1: mm-hmm. as scripture says and somehow be saved but i think it's always interesting because i get this question a lot you know well, what happens about those people And yes, I have a great concern for them, and I want them to know the Lord. But the issue is not that they may not hear. The issue is, what are we doing about it? Hmm. We are called to take the gospel into the entire world. We are called not to sit back and enjoy America or enjoy our way of life and say, good luck and God bless you. No, we are to go out with that message. And so I would encourage you, if you can't physically go, you need to be in prayer, you need to be supporting it, you need to be sending, and every church should be raising up men and women today who are going to go on that mission of healed and go to all these parts of the world and keep going because it's not a one-time deal.
2: Mm-hmm. Acts 4.12, really quick. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Amen. Except right. for the name of Jesus. Lively discussion.
0: You guys are doing great. We're going to take a break. Come back. One more segment of Guy Talk. We're not doing the extended version today, but in the second hour, Dr. Doug Gruthouse is going to be my guest Amazing Mind, and we're going to talk about atonement in hour two. So don't go anywhere. We've got lots more show for you. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean business today, don't I? Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, it's guy talk. I figure that's the kind of music that guys can handle, right? I, I like it. it. I thought so. Tom Parrish, Jeff Redorn, my panel today. Let me know.
2: Great questions coming in. Here's one: How many times can you be saved? Once. Good it's, answer. Yeah, I. You know, this goes. The heart of this behind this question is the idea of whether or not once you're saved, you're saved. For all of eternity, can we have true assurance of salvation? Scripture indicates over and over and over again that what he began in you, he will complete. Having given you the Holy Spirit, it's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, that your salvation is kept in heaven for you, shielded by God's power until that day. Uh, John writes that I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. So yes, you're saved once for all of eternity.
1: When I hear these questions asked... I always find it interesting, you know, can I be saved? Do I need to be saved more than once? The real question is, where are you at with Jesus right now? If you're saved, then you focus on him. If you question your salvation, then go to Jesus and Mm -hmm. talk to him about it. And Jesus will give you the assurance you need. You know, you don't have to wait until you die to find out where you're going to go. Eternal life has begun now for those who believe. Now, I know people that have gone forward. Even at my church when I've had altar calls, i Lutheran with altar calls, oh my goodness, but we do it. <laughs> and then they drift away, all right? When they come to me and they go, do I need to do another altar call? My attitude is, you need to talk to Jesus right now. He's already taken care of you. Now you need to talk to him and see what he wants you to do in this life.
2: You know, you said something very important, that the more... You study God's word, you said go to Jesus, go to his word. The more you understand his promises, the more assurance you'll have. It will it will take away that doubt that you have about your assurance because you're going to see God's promises in his word, believe it and your assurance will grow. Absolutely. All right, well, one of you
0: can answer this, try to keep it to a minute because this question is a whole hour and we can't we can't do a whole hour on this question. Okay. So, one of you please respond, try to keep it to a minute. Can you talk about the doctrine of election? So it's just it's just
2: a a, a quick brush. Thirty seconds each. You go. Um, ahead. I'll, I'll jump in. Look, if You need, need help. Election is biblical. Um, there are some in Christianity that believe that election is unto salvation, and others that see biblically election is unto a, a role or service or purpose. So when someone is called called his chosen one, it's chosen for a particular purpose. Paul, for example, was saved by faith, but he was chosen as the the, the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, Abraham was saved by faith, as we were just talking about a minute ago, but God chose him, God elected him to be the father of many nations and for the whole world to be blessed Through him, so I think that's probably the simplest distinction that I can make.
1: I'm with it. That's fine. Thank you for that. Um,
0: Let's see. I have so many questions today. Um, You're
1: after that puppy.
0: They are after that puppy. (laughs) How do I pray with expectancy without it sounding like I'm demanding it or I'm
1: owed something? Part of it is, uh, the only way I've learned to do this, and I'm only speaking from experience here, you know, the Lord says, ask and you shall receive. Knock, you know, and the door will be open to you. Come with boldness, like the woman who came and demanded from the unrighteous judge that she get justice. So we're invited to come boldly to the Lord. But the point is, we don't have the power to answer the prayer. It's not us that's going to make it happen. So we come into his presence without the fear that he's going to reject us or, you know, just say, get out but we go to Jesus and expect him to answer our prayer and we trust him and you keep going back. And I believe, I mean, I talk to Jesus every day about a lot of things. And the point is I want to be, have his mind. And so my prayer life is not a typical prayer life because I'm doing it in the car. I'm doing it at home. It's a continual conversation. And I think if you do that, you're going to be just
2: fine. Other times I've caught myself saying, Lord, you know, do this or do that. I'll find, yeah, but that's from my perspective, oh, yeah. right? From my view, it sure seems better that option A is better than option B. But then when you catch yourself, you realize, you you, you finish your prayer, but in the end, let your will of be course. done. And I think that's a f- safe place to be. I, let I your learn, will be
1: done. I did learn long ago, Jesus is much smarter than you and me. Absolutely. Way more. If
0: demons are different than fallen angels, then are you saying, even if Satan had not fallen and took a third with him, we
2: would still have been tempted by demons. Yes, actually, I do. Okay. My theology s- makes a distinction between fallen angels and the demonic world. So, but, you know, that what if is kind of, what ifs are hard in Scripture, but yes, if the source of demonic activity is not fallen angels, then their fate, what happened to them and so on is independent of, of the demonic forces that we have in our world today
1: yeah i don't want to overstate this but i believe that when adam and eve ate the apple and disobeyed the lord it's like the demons were manifest because there were no demons that we know of before that they were not being tempted or pushed in any direction but when they disobeyed the lord it's like when you disobey the lord it's a natural consequence that the demonic comes out and comes after you yeah so that
2: tom is describing one of the theories on what okay then where did the demonic world come from there's several different theories about it biblically we don't have a ton of information about it so most folks are not too dogmatic about their beliefs on this but uh, that that's one of them all right please help me explain to those who aren't christians
0: why god would allow so much death of people in the old testament
2: how do i explain god's grace unconditional love mercy in conjunction with this you know the problem of evil has been a philosophical issue that people have tried to uh, explain and answer and that critics of god have tried to use to attack the existence of god himself because if god is all loving and all powerful why is there evil in this world is kind of the problem of evil the traditional problem of evil we actually have a very simple answer and that is a, we live in a genesis you know three world After the fall of mankind, man was separated from God. All of creation is frustrated. Man is now sinful. So we have in the world today since the fall, we have fallen people making fallen decisions. We have a fallen angel uh, looking to kill and steal and destroy. And we live in a fallen world that, that the New Testament says all creation is groaning in its fallen state. Men have to toil for food and their sickness and disease and most of all, Death. So if you want the answer of where all this stuff came from, turn to Genesis chapter 3 and the fall oh, of man. absolutely.
1: 9. And archaeologists and historians are discovering that the peoples of the past were not these pristine, wonderful people. There's a lot of child sacrifice. There was a lot of other things going on. And the Lord knew precisely the problem. And I think more taking those people out, the Philistines or the others, was more out of mercy than it was punishment. Because they were hurting themselves and hurting others. And, quite honestly, hindering Israel. And remember, it's still happening today. I mean, communism
2: is, in, in the 20th century alone, is, is responsible for some hundred million deaths around the world. So people are still dying en masse for many, many
1: reasons. I think what we do, we make a bad habit out of idealizing people of the past that we never met. My great-grandmother was full-blooded Cherokee. She, Her parents almost died in the Trail of Tears. I still qualify to live in Oklahoma on the reservation. I have enough Indian blood in me, if you can believe that. Kind of crazy. If one more person tells me about the noble, noble Indians, they were people just like us. There were good ones and there were bad ones. And let's not make people into something they weren't. Because my ancestors, who were Native American in this country, did just as many good things and just as many bad things hmm. as the Philistines did long time ago. And they need Jesus just like the rest of
0: us. Mm. You guys are doing a great job. I wish I paid you, but I don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, what right. We, we're running out of time here. What do they mean when they say the still, small voice of
2: God? There's a couple places where Scripture, where God tells us, be still. Uh, be still and know that I am God. Uh, Exodus 14 says, uh, that when the when the Pharaoh's army were coming after Israel and they're complaining to Moses, why did you bring us out into the desert and die? And God says, I will fight this battle for you. You just need to be still. I think there's this idea of being still before God is simply trusting in him.
1: One of the things I've learned with, uh, you're at a party and everybody's talking and they're loud or whatever else. And then a little old woman wants to say something. What do you have to do with the rest of the crowd? Shh, get quiet. Let's listen to what she has to say. I think the still small voice is the Lord's way of getting our attention. Hmm. It's not that he can't shout. It's not that he can't make a big noise. But oftentimes we get so busy, we have to learn to put down our busyness. Look inward. Look at the scriptures and just let the Lord speak to our heart. And we don't do that enough. I don't do that enough, but I know how necessary it is. Nice job, gentlemen. That's fun. How many questions did
0: we
2: answer oh, today?
0: Uh, uh, not enough to award anyone the puppy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, don't
1: worry, creepy. the puppy will be here next week. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> It'll be slightly bigger. <laughs> but it's been uh, a great time. Thank you for the fellowship and this, Thank you, this time together with the Lord. All right, we're going to take a break like we normally do. Uh, but then when we come back, Dr. Doug Gruthaus is going to join me. I've had Doug on, I think, 10 times. And I f- feared that I've mispronounced his name all 10 times. <laughs> So I'm going to start by getting the proper pronunciation of his last name, and then we're going to talk about atonement. Please don't go anywhere. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.